welcome back to Potadelphia. And we have a very special show tonight. Uh, I'm Chuck Siders. You can find me on Twitter at Chuck Siders. You can find the show at Potadelphia. And in lieu of Dave and Gene, we have a very special guest. Uh, he is a hockey writer that I enjoy and admire. Uh, he has appeared on Vice Sports, Grantland, The National Post, Sportsnet, The Hockey News, The Guardian, and now you can find his work at The Athletic. In addition to that, he is the author of three books, including the current number one bestseller in hockey on Amazon. The book is The Down Goes Brown History of the NHL, and its author, Sean McAdoo, is our guest. So, Sean, welcome to Potadelphia. How are you doing today? I'm doing real good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for uh, for joining us. Um, I had picked up uh, a copy of your book the other day, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, one of the things I enjoyed the most when looking into the book was seeing that you were the person who recorded the narration on your audiobook. And it was a, a bit of a concern of mine with a bad experience I had with Wayne Gretzky's book. And, and you know, I, I often think of you and Gretzky in the same in the same sort of category. Um, but his book was narrated by, I, I guess, a professional uh, a voiceover actor. And the person didn't know how to pronounce certain names. You know, the one that sticks out to me most was Andy Moog. And he always pronounced it Moog. And I think Maurice Richard was definitely Richard. So how did you end up making the decision to uh, record the book yourself? That that was a decision that was largely made for me. What happened was uh, the publisher contacted me in the summer and said, uh, would you be interested uh, in... Uh, there being an audio version of your book. And I said, yes, of course I would. Uh, what uh, famous renowned voice actor have you hired uh, to do the recording? And they they explained, no, they, you're, you're nowhere near important enough for us to do that. If there is going to be an audio version, you're going to have to do it yourself. And I, I agreed to do it. And I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that naively at the time, I, I thought this was a very simple process. I thought I would uh, just maybe even do this from home into my uh, into my laptop microphone and and ship the file off to them. And instead, uh, as it turns out, it's it's a very involved process. There, I, I ended up spending uh, many many days in a studio working with the director, working with the producer, uh, making sure that uh, I, I kept my energy up and and my voice stayed strong, and and drinking honey tea and eating apples for some reason. <laughs> Uh, and it was uh, it, it was a, a very long term uh, uh, project. I think we spent probably ten or twelve days in in the studio uh, just to get the final eight hour piece. So uh, I'm I'm glad I did it. It, it was certainly an experience, I, I'm, and I'm I'm very glad to have the audio version. And most of the things should be pronounced correctly, yeah. uh, even though there there certainly I will admit there were some where I wasn't sure, or there were guys that I had written about before, but I'd never actually said the name out loud. Uh, but I was fortunate because my director was a, a very much a stickler for detail, and she spent a lot of time researching names and making sure that we had all the pronunciations right. And uh, uh, anything, any any errors that are still there are uh, completely my fault and be blamed on me because it means I, I probably didn't listen to the way that she told me to do it. Well, that that's that's awesome. I thought you were totally going to pass the buck on onto her, but. Um... Yeah, I've I've listened to you on I guess the the Biscuits podcast, and you've made a lot of other appearances, and you know, I, um, you know, I would imagine you were a, an expert at that. Um, now here, 
we're we're a Philadelphia sports podcast, so we got to talk about the Flyers. And you know, from our perspective, we see the Flyers sort of get lumped into that original six crowd a lot. And from an outsider's perspective, as somebody who covers the game nationally, like what do you, what is your view about the impact of the Flyers and their influence in the uh, NHL? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the way that you described it with them being lumped into the original six is is probably not far off. I mean, uh, being having grown up in Toronto and and being a fan of an original six team, that that group of six teams is is the sacred group. And even though, as I get into quite a bit in the book, the original six is was not the original lineup for the NHL. Many fans don't know that. And, and in fact, not only were they not the original, they were 25 years before, uh, 25 years of league history before the original six even appears and, and lots of teams coming and going, including a team in Philadelphia, uh, very briefly. But it, it almost feels as if it, the Flyers are almost like that seventh team. You know, of, of that second group of six, the Flyers are the one that most feel like the old school uh, team that that really fits in with the others. I don't know. Maybe it's because they won their championship first. Uh, maybe it's just because Philadelphia is just that sort of town. Uh, you know, the the way that they kind of embrace that that old school style of play. Um, but yeah, it 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 probably would be fair to say that it, you know the Flyers kind of feel like the seventh original six team. Well, um, you know, it's nice to hear that, you know, it's not just local confirmation bias. You know, we, we think highly of the team. Well, we think highly of the legacy of the team and our legacy as fans. Currently, uh, we're, we're a bit hot and cold on them, uh, especially the coach. Um, now, you, you had mentioned the Flyers um, appearing in your book, and they, they're they're all over it. Um, the, you cover the the Broad Street Bullies in depth. I uh, mentioned a lot of the '80s teams and the Lindros trade. Even I uh, mentioned the Ottawa brawl. Um, but I think my favorite was the Esposito uh, smudge. And yes. I I I had heard like a little bit about this, but I really did not know the depths. So how did how did you come across that, and how quickly did you decide that was going to be in the book? You know, first of all, I I love you saying that because that's that's my been my favorite reaction in talking to people who've got the book is when people who are are diehard hockey fans because I wrote the book for for everybody for the beginners for the new fans and but but when people and say either I had never heard this story before or I'd heard something about that uh, but I I'd never really seen it laid out in detail and and you know those are the kind of great stories that it's really fun to to share with people and and see their reaction to. Uh, the smudge is one, uh, you know, like you, I, I kind of heard bits and pieces of it, but I remember writing about that several years ago for Grantland. Uh, I had, I had done a piece on just, you know, some of those weird transactions and transactions that, that did happen or didn't happen, uh, under strange circumstances. And, and so when it came time to put the book together, uh, it, it, was one that was on the list of things that I thought that, that I might want to talk about the, the way that I ended up structuring the book. Uh, is there are 25 chapters, and then in between each chapter, there is what I guess I would consider a mini chapter, which is just something weird or odd or strange, nothing ground-shaking importance, but but the sort of the, those kind of fun stories that that a lot of hockey fans like. And what I found was, I, I have a chapter in the book where I kind of talk about the the way that scoring in the 
NHL has gone up and down in the way that it's it's really dropped over the dead puck era and and my frustration with Gary Bettman and and the leadership of the NHL and how they didn't really do anything about it. And one thing I realized is by the end of it, I was like, man, this is like this got kind of depressing. Like I sort of this is supposed <laughs> to be a fun light book, and I've kind of brought it down. So I wanted something that was kind of weird and strange to close off on. And I was like, man, if I could come up with something with with one of the great goal scorers and and. Phil Esposito, oh, perfect. You know, let's let's turn to Phil and let him lighten lighten the mood with his whole ridiculous attempt to uh, uh, get out of an offer sheet, basically by claiming uh, that uh, that he he had not formally been informed of an offer sheet that the Philadelphia Flyers had signed with Chris Gratton, trying to pry him out of Tampa, uh, and and Phil Esposito, the GM in Tampa, says, I, you know, I never actually got the offer sheet. Because you sent it to me, but it was smudged by the fax machine. And some of the eights looked like zeros, or some of the zeros looked like eights. And therefore, I, I, I didn't know what the numbers were. And, and and that means I didn't get it. So I've, and oh, by the way, I just traded Chris Gratton to the Chicago Blackhawks. Completely and, coincidentally. Just just happened to happen. Yeah, just weird. As, the, as your smudged fax was coming in, I finished this. And of course, the Flyers said, you can't do that. You can't. You can't trade somebody once they sign an offer sheet and you've been informed of it. And and so this is one of those situations where it had to go to the league and it had to go to an arbitrator. And, you know, here we are again with the Philadelphia Flyers in the middle of an arbitration case over a big center uh, that they say they've uh, acquired. And the other team says, no, you haven't. And uh, once again, they, they end up winning in the league kind of smacks Phil Esposito in the nose <laughs> with a rolled up magazine and says, cut it out. And uh, and, and the the uh, immortal uh, Chris Gratton in Philadelphia era begins, uh, and then a year later, everyone realizes they made a terrible mistake, and they just basically undo the trade, and uh, and, and everything goes back to how it used to be. <laughs> and I remember when Chris Gratton came in, he had a double number, and for some reason, that seemed like significant in the 90s, and it's like, oh, perfect, he's just going to compliment the team, going to be like Lindros 2.0. Not, not quite, but yeah, kind of, maybe. <laughs> not in well, a good way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you'd mentioned these uh, these sort of mini chapters, and the other one that jumps out to me the most, and probably because I admitted I I initially misread it, it was the um, Broadway bullies and a story about Gordy Howe that I absolutely like the Chris Gratton story. You know, I heard a bit of, but I hadn't heard about this at all, and yeah. and his brief stint over over with the rangers that that's exactly it so th this is the the story of gordy house first nhl training camp and of course this was back in the day that this was before the draft there there's no draft this is back in the day where in order to to get an nhl player's rights basically what you would do is you'd have a scout go and see the player and find them and if they could convince them to sign a contract and i mean there there were there were a few more rules than that around it, but really it was it was uh, for the most part basically that simple. And and you could sign these players very young. I mean, you didn't have to wait till they turned eighteen and were uh, you know there there were no age limits. And so what happened was a scout for the New York Rangers went out uh, and saw Gordy Howe playing out in Western Canada and and said that this kid might be something. And I think I think Gordy Howe was 15 at the time, so I mean he wow. he wasn't Gordy Howe yet. He wasn't Mr. Hockey. He wasn't Mr. Anything. He was a, he was a kid. <laughs> but they saw something in him, and they said, "Come out to our training camp." And he did. He, you know, they they he he went out, a 15 year old kid away from home, and and he gets to this training camp, and for whatever reason, 
the veterans on the New York Rangers at the time decide that they're going to pick on this kid. They, there was something about him. Uh, one one of the versions of the story is that you know he he wasn't uh, you know he wasn't from a very wealthy family. He had never actually worn a full set of new hockey equipment before, and so when they gave him his his gear, he wasn't completely sure how to put it on. And and the veterans saw that and they they thought it was very funny, and they 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 made fun of this kid. They they wouldn't uh, you know wouldn't let him eat his meals. They would take his food from him, and basically just made sure that he had a really miserable time. Uh, and Gordy Howe basically left the camp, uh, you know, almost in tears, but but not, you know, say you know he was never going to go back. Had wanted no part of the New York Rangers, and he goes back home and he plays another year of of uh, amateur hockey. And at, at that point, the Detroit Red Wings come around and say, "Would you like to come to our camp?" And he goes to that camp. He's treated well. Everything goes great. By the end of it, they say, would you like a contract? He signs one, uh, gets his his nice new Detroit Red Wings jacket that he can take home. And the rest is history. I mean, literally, the the history of the league gets rewritten at that point because Gordie Howe joins the Detroit Red Wings. But if, if things had gone differently a year earlier, and maybe if some of these Rangers veterans had just decided to go easy on this poor kid who was away from home and, and just give him a little bit of an easier time, who knows? Maybe we're talking about Gordie Howe, the uh, legendary New York Ranger, instead. Wow! And and as you as you're going through the points of the story, it just it reminds me of like the the hockey version of like the Ugly Duckling. So I yep. mean, if you if you want to do a children's book after this one, like I think you you have your story right there. Um, yeah, and I mean, if if it's let, let it be a lesson to anyone, you, you're going to pick on someone who who seems like they can't defend themselves. Uh, you know, to, to, to be be careful because that that kid might turn out to be the toughest, meanest hockey player who ever lived. And I I I've, I haven't seen this part of the story, but I would not be surprised if at some point some of those guys had to cross path with uh, with Gordie Howe when he was Mister Hockey. And uh, that that probably uh, if they went into a corner with them and he knew who they were, it probably didn't go real well for them. <laughs> yeah, I, I that would be fascinating to find that out. But oh, I'm certain I'm certain I'm sure they got one of the uh, Patton and Gordy Howe elbows. Um, speaking of uh, somebody who could throw uh, a good elbow, uh, we refer to him as Captain Elbows, uh, Chris Pronger and Chris Pronger from like the blog days was like the go to villain in your pieces and i think the i, I don't know if it's the you, was your breakout article or whatever but it was the cover of your first book was the the suspension flow chart um and that's one of those pieces that really had legs and as a hockey fan i can't tell you how many of your articles are shared with me by non-hockey fans and they go oh chuck i know you're big into hockey have you seen this out? And like nine times out of 10, it's your article. How, when, when you write a piece, do you know if it's going to have legs? When you did the hockey, the suspension flow chart, did you go, you know what, this is, this is really damn good? Nope. I, I, to this day, I have, I have no idea what's going to catch fire and, and what isn't. I, I have a sense Certainly some things work better than others. There are some things I write where I say, I know this is going to be a, a niche audience, but uh, you know, I still think it's worth doing. But as far as the stuff that, that kind of hits and, 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 you know, goes viral as, as we would say, 
Uh, I, I, to this day, I have no idea. It, it just seems to be a question of which way the wind is blowing on a certain day and, and, and who knows when it comes to the flow chart, I, you know, I, I can tell you the story behind that because that, that really was the first thing, like you say, the first thing I wrote that, that really kind of jumped the track and, and got a big audience. And, and what had happened is I had the idea and I kind of had the jokes in my mind, but I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how to present it. And, and I had a draft where I was doing it sort of as a quiz or as a, uh, you know, something like that, where it was all going to be text. And then one day it kind of popped in my head that, Oh, you know what? A flow chart that would work. And I had to kind of learn how to use flow charting software to make, make it myself. <laughs> Uh, and I, you know, I had some demo and this was back when I was, uh, I was doing this as a hobby. I was working a day job at a, at a software company and, and I literally kind of put this together on my lunch hour. And I think it was a, you know, one o'clock or one thirty uh, where I was, I was finishing up lunch and I had a meeting to go to. And, and so I, I t- took this thing, I finished it, looked good. I posted it up on the blog. I went off to my meeting, came back an hour later, two hours later, whatever it was thinking, oh yeah, I wonder if anybody looked at that flow chart thing and hoping to see one or two comments and there were 20 or 30 or 50 or whatever it was. And that was kind of the first moment where I was like, Oh, wait a second, something happened here. Uh, because this thing suddenly seems to be everywhere. And you know, the next day it was on all the, all the hockey sites had it and it was just kind of like, Oh wow. All right. Uh, and, and that was the first of, of a few that did that. And you know, there were other ones where I, you know, I, I remember months after that going, I'll do another flow chart and that will happen again. And I did another <laughs> flow chart and people were like, this is really good. And it did, but it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't, you know, it, it, the liftoff was not, uh, not achieved. And to this day, I still, you know, I still don't know. There is stuff I write where I go, you know what, this has a chance. Uh, and, and it, sometimes it does, and sometimes it goes nowhere. And sometimes it's something I'm not even expecting that, that just kind of catches the breeze in the right direction. Uh, if, if I ever figure out how to make it happen, uh, on purpose, uh, I will, I will be a much richer and more successful writer, but I, I can tell you, uh, it's, it's, it's been a surprise to me every time. Uh, and the, another one that kicks around a lot, well, every, every playoff season, uh, every, you know, every postseason, when we get an overtime game, someone will share the, what I think 23 stages of of a NHL playoff overtime game. Yes. And and the the one thing that always sticks out to me is one of the early stages it's in the first overtime you say that weird moment when you remember that there are no commercials in overtime. <laughs> and I I think about it every time because it always happens to me of like I'm involved in the game and I'm going like, all right, you know, next commercial, I'll run and get a beer or something. And I'm like, wait a second, there's no commercials. It's, it's every, I mean, I have watched in my life definitely hundreds of playoff overtime games, maybe thousands at this point. I mean, at some point it should click in in my brain that this happens and it just never does. I'm exactly (laughs) like you. I'm, you know, it's, it's the, the, Teams are skating around and overtime's about to start. And I'm like, gee, I have to pee, but that's okay. I can make it to the next commercial. And then I'm just sitting there like 20 minutes later, just cursing myself going, you dummy. Like, I mean, this happened yesterday too. Like, when are you going to figure this out? And so, yeah, that's that's one of those where sometimes I'll throw in something like that. And and I'm half expecting people to go, what the hell are you talking about? Nobody else does this. But it's, uh, no, it's uh, it's it's nice to hear that. And I've heard from other people who've said like, yes, thank you. I do that too. And I I thought I was the only one. <laughs> yeah, that, that I think about every time of n- not only my own realization, but the fact that I think of the article. I'm like, so 
I, I realized this myself over time, and I've had someone else point it out to me, but still, no progress, uh, no progress made. Um, so you, you've been very generous with your with your time tonight, and I, I want to wrap up with one last question. And a, a lot of times on our show, we maybe even by happenstance end up talking about like the fashion of sports and the there was a leak for the Leafs the other day and for people uh, who don't know or haven't picked it up you're you're a diehard Leafs fan and the leak was the Toronto St. Pat's jersey and I mean I don't think there could be a better jersey tie-in for your book what what are your thoughts on the uh, the St. Pat's jersey yeah I've you know I've always had kind of mixed feelings about the the uh, various different uh, types of uh, St. Pat's jerseys they do because this is something that the the Leafs tend to do like once a year right around St. Patrick's Day and if people don't know the, the St. Pat's were the, sort of the precursor to the Maple Leafs the Maple Leafs were one of the original teams when the league formed but when the league first formed the, the Toronto team wasn't called the Maple Leafs in fact they weren't called anything they were just Toronto uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't formally have a name and uh, eventually they were called the arenas and then they were called the St. Pat's and, and, and they were green. And, uh, it wasn't until, uh, Con Smythe comes in and takes over that they become the Maple Leafs with the distinctive blue and white that we all, that we all know, uh, to this day. And, you know, I mean, I, I grew up loving that blue and white and it was very jarring for me when they would suddenly show up wearing green and like with brown <laughs> pants and stuff. And I was like, ah, oh, this this kind of feels like a marketing grab. Like I've never seen anyone walking around wearing one of those, the, one of those things. And it's only been in kind of the last few years uh, that I'm, I'm starting to grudgingly, you know, lose some of my grumpy old man uh, vibe <laughs> over this and go like, all right, you know what, this, this maybe isn't too bad. Maybe we can, uh, maybe we can handle uh, having a, a little bit of fun and celebrating some of the, uh, uh, some of the, uh, the, the old history. Although it is a little jarring to see like, you know, this week's leaks where it's like the old St. Pat's and yet it's in that like new style of, of uniform mm-hmm. where you're kind of like, I, I don't know, man, like pick a lane. Like, what are we, <laughs> that's, that's not what the uniforms look like back then. But, uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, uh, it, this is, this is, this is what we do in the NHL these days. Just everybody always has their, you know, their new third Jersey is just the old Jersey that they decided it wasn't good enough years and years ago. And now they're bringing back and I don't know, I, 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 I I need to learn how to live with it and stop being so grumpy. <laughs> well, I think Austin Matthews has to has to help that a little, although the the injury that that might be a sore point there. Um, but but thank you so much, uh, Sean, for for joining the show, and uh, it was really truly a pleasure. Where can people find the book? How can they get it? Uh, they they should be able to find it anywhere that they would get books, including in the bookstores. It is available as a, uh, a a hardcover book. If you go to your favorite bookstore and it is not there, uh, make sure that you loudly demand uh, that uh, that they stock it and and uh, continue to to loudly demand that until they call the police and force you to leave. <laughs> uh, but if uh, if for whatever reason you have trouble finding it, you can you can certainly find it online in all the usual spots, Amazon and and wherever else. Uh, it will it will be there, including in the ebook format and in that audio version that uh, that we were talking about. So if you've if you've listened to this and you're thinking, I would really like to hear this guy talk for eight more hours, uh, I've I've got great news for you. You can grab that audio <laughs> version and uh, you can you can enjoy that as well. Thanks again. Check out the book. I highly recommend it. Uh, once again, our guest Sean McIndoe. Down goes Brown himself. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. 